saying there. Literally. It is the same message every day, every every meeting. So, you know, if I had to put a new title on each talk, it would be the same thing. Self as seen on 110.09. Self as seen on 112.09. It would be the same thing. Because, because the, one of the main programs or modus operandi of self-centeredness is the, the feeling that you are the one who's doing and having. Yeah? So, without that being addressed, every, every step that you proceed in trying to do and have something, you're in, encased in that self-centeredness, seemingly. Yeah? Where, what's the point of explaining anything down the road? There's no point to it. The, the point of coupling isn't in the doing and having. It's in who believes it's the doer and haver. That happens prior to doing and having. If that's not addressed, all the doing and having is still going to be used as a way of being bonded to this idea of being a self. It's, there's no escape from it. You're not going to escape from selfing by doing and having. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. It's because there, for doing and having to occur to you, there's a sense of being the doer. That's the selfing. That, that selfing, no matter what it is you're doing, and no matter what it is you're having, that same lock is being applied. You believe you're the doer and haver. Just like if you think you didn't have bad things, you could, maybe there was a lot of byproduct of that, which is guilt and shame. If you think that you've been really doing good things and having good things, there's a byproduct called pride. Let's say spiritual pride. One is like an iron-linked chain, the other is a gold-linked chain, but they still bond you. What I found in my own experience, that's why I harp on it all the time, is because when I was out there seeking, practicing spirituality, meditating and all this stuff, which I have no opinion about, meditating. I have a big opinion about who thinks it's the meditator. That's where the opinion I have is. And I noticed after all the years of practicing, sometimes very diligently, the only modality I knew, which was doing and having, to get something for me to become better, I found it failed miserably. Now maybe it doesn't fail miserably for other people, but for me, it failed me miserably. Because no radical shift occurred. It was just, I got, I was garnering more experiences. Now I could call these spiritual experiences instead of crazy, out of control experiences I had when I was a drug addict. But they're still experiences. Because there was a, there was something that was in place that wasn't being noticed. There was an identification as what I'm not. And that, that identification as what I'm not, its main movement is to, to keep that identification in its place, one of his main movements is claiming everything. Yeah? Just like hearing is being claimed by it, by your feeling that I'm the one who's hearing something. Yeah? That's not the event. The event is hearing. Yeah? The mental con contribution to that, the conditional interpretation that is, I'm hearing that sound. Seeing. I'm seeing that. Yeah? Feeling, I'm feeling that. 
smelling, I'm smelling that. Touching, I'm touching that. So there's all these different forms of conscious contact, and the head's claiming each one of them. And of course, it would be totally exhausted all day if he kept saying the same thing, like, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing that, I'm seeing that. There's a belief yeah, that's in place, and it's the feeling that I, as this, am seeing that. Yeah? It's a feeling that you travel with. You feel like I'm seeing that. All day, my perceptions are telling me I'm here, there's this thing called space, and then there's things that I'm in relationship with there. Yeah? It's a feeling. The head would be totally exhaustive. It had to, every time there was conscious contact, it had to claim it. Like, oh, you'd be going, I'm seeing, I'm feeling, and sometimes you're having a lot of contact, five different doors, it'd be jumping like crazy trying to claim them all. So what it does is just has a certain belief there that there's the me that's having all of these experiences of being consciously in contact. Yeah? But in fact, it's only conscious contact that's being demonstrated. That's an interpretation that you are having the contact. So, without that being addressed, and you leave and you start doing something to make yourself better in spirituality, let's say, I would say in most cases, the coupling that you want to get uncoupled from is in place all the time you're trying to uncouple it. It's actually recoupling it even more. Yeah? You may be trading your iron chains, but you're getting gold chains. They do the same job. Bondage. To what? Self. Yeah? How are you bonded to self? You believe that you are one. Yeah? What continues to keep that belief in place is your daily narrative based on seeing life from self-centeredness and, and interpreting everything, all the contact that you are conscious of from that point of view of being the one who's in contact. What that caused in me was I was truly unconscious to the one point and one fact that would have been really helpful to be conscious of that I am conscious contact, that I'm not in conscious contact, I am that conscious contact. The idea of being in it and out of it is a story based on me being something that I'm not. If that, was, if that bottom line had been addressed and would have been rested in, all the other shenanigans wouldn't have had such a hold on you. So why go anywhere else until this one is entertained? Because if you don't get, in a sense, if you leave this, oh, I've heard this message before, and then you go out and leave, it's like a perfect example. I remember this teacher, this beautiful, it was a transcription, you know, they put out books, but they're just transcribing, you know, shares, talks. So he had this four-page take on non-doership, uh, non not, not being the personal doer. It was beautiful. And then this lady, after hearing it, for, you know, I guess for, must have gone on for 15, 20 minutes, it was four pages full, she raises her hand, I guess, in the audience, and says, hey, I understand exactly what you're saying, now what do I do? Exactly. See? That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma, I hope, humbly, we're addressing every night, three nights a week, doing this, in a sense, is to see that point right there. When you hear all about non-doership, and the first thing you do is try to do something to get it. Yeah. Or you hear about non-selfing, and now you try as a self to practice non-selfing. Give me a break. 
There's no need to practice non-selfing. There's a recognition there is no self. That's non-selfing. Yeah? But once the self hears it, <laughs> now, all right, I'm going to be a non-doer now. I was doing a lot in my life. It didn't get me anywhere. Now I'm not doing anything. So now you're in a relationship and your girlfriend says, Hey, did you fucking leave that stove on? Hey, I didn't. I'm not the doer. No. <laughs> you burnt my whole fucking house out. I didn't. There's no Paul to burn in the house there. So the, the head in selfing tries to use it as an advantage, the idea of non-selfing. That's what's happening. So we're just trying to get, let's go back to first things first. Like we say in recovery. First things first. What's the first thing that's first? Conscious contact. There's nothing prior to that that you would be aware of. Conscious contact is first things first. That's what we say in recovery. First things first, all right. First things first. They're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and actually seeing thoughts too. There's six sense doors. So that's conscious contact, yes? Consciousness, as not as this, because this isn't conscious. The eye is not seeing. Eye is not seeing. You could take this eye out if I was dead, hopefully after I'm dead. Yeah, not now. It's painful at the moment. But if I was dead, if you t went and took my eye out and put it in a live body, it would see. But in my body, it wouldn't see. It has nothing to do with the eye's ability to see because it doesn't see. It's the lens for seeing to a happen here. Yes? So, with consciousness, Directed through this eye, it can see things. Yes? It can't see no thing, because this is its defined, like, camera ability, which is to see things. Yes? But what's seeing the things is not the eye. The eye is not seeing the things. Consciousness is seeing things. Yes? And in one sense, consciousness is also the things it's seeing. All there is is consciousness. Consciousness seeing the appearances of consciousness as other than consciousness, yeah, as things. That's what's happening in a sense here. Yeah. Hearing. Are you hearing? If my ears face this way and there's a giant explosion, I'm going to hear it. Now, where goes, where, where is my whole idea of having choice at that point? I choose not to hear that. <laughs> But you heard it. <laughs> Your idea of choosing not to hear it is after the, f the fact that you heard it. First you have to hear it to even have an idea that, hey, I'm choosing not to hear that now. There's hearing, yes? Hearing. Hearing is not based on you hearing. Hearing happens, consciousness through the ear, the drum, and sounds, sound waves hit it, and then there's recognition of, of an awareness of hearing. Yes. So it really is this... The eardrum sound, and that's the whole experience called hearing. But what we do is we live in the interpretation of that, which is I'm hearing that sound. And then, as soon as that's in place, that that has been claimed, the hearing, then your head thinks it has the right to have tons of opinions about it. And it starts thinking, hey, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something better than that. I deserve to hear something better than that. And it just starts selfing like crazy. Yeah? But it wouldn't self like crazy if it hadn't claimed the conscious contact. And that's the point of immunity to it. If you can just recognize, 
hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, you will all start, start recognizing your head's assumption that it's a you that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. And by seeing that, you have an immunity to the rest of the story. Because you snip it at the bud, yes? So your attention, here's the attention, conscious contact, seeing, feeling, hearing, tasting, touching, seeing thoughts. That's where my attention lies. Then the mind's reaction to that is an interpretation. I am seeing that. My attention gets hijacked and now goes up the road of selfing. And it leaves the awareness of the conscious contact. So in a sense, you forget you're consciously in contact when you think you are in conscious contact. When you think you are what's in conscious contact, you're actually literally forgetting conscious contact. You're forgetting it. Now you think, no, I'm in conscious contact now, but that's when you're unconscious to the fact of conscious contact. You assume conscious contact is about you, and then you assume that you're, you are in conscious contact, and then you can entertain being unconscious. But in fact, you're truly unconscious of the one thing that merits conscious, which is contact. You're basically unaware of it. Why go anywhere else down the line of all the shenanigans if that's the dilemma? It's right where it all seemed to begin. Why do you want to get therapy for the problem in knot number five when knot number one is really the cause of all the other knots being tied up? Literally, we're spending a lot of time trying to untie knots and they seem to work sometimes and they, they have a tendency to tie again, don't they? They just knot up again when you least expect it. Nodding up, nodding up. But if you go to the first knot, this is, and that knot gets loosened, first of all, it's not a knot, you know, it's just a story picture. That knot gets loosened, then all the other knots get affected by that one knot, because there's a thread through the first knot that goes through all the other knots. That's why we're attempting just to stay here, because here is why, what, which gives all meaning to all the there. All the there is given meaning to here, from here. If here is not noticed or conscious of, then there's going to be a whole lot of meaning to all the there's that happen. But this is the immunity to all the meaning your head wants to give to all the there's by recognizing you're here. This is the point of immunity. All this is therapy and help and bogus solutions that are always defined by expiration dates and conditions and circumstances, always conditional peace. If I go on that retreat and no one makes a noise and I have incredible gourmet, buffet, vegetarian food and all this, then I'll, I really felt peaceful there. How much did it cost you? 1200 bucks? All right, 1200 bucks. That's not bad for two days of peace. Yeah? I did a retreat once. It was hilarious. You know, there's a place called Spirit Rock. I'm hopefully no one there. They won't listen to this anyway. Spirit Rock. It's, uh, they practice... Buddhist stuff, insight meditation. I used to call it the upper middle way, because the, the room I stayed in was better than the house I lived in. They had like eagle claw bathtubs. It was fucking unbelievable. So I did this retreat there, and so they had gourmet food, big time. And so every day everyone was, you know, foraging around, doing meditation, doing whatever. And then they'd be dinner and at six. First you had these other meals. Six o'clock. And so... After 10 days, I was there for about three weeks or so. After 10 days, 
the eleventh day, I got there, I was getting there near the first, and I was in there, and the eleventh day, what they did was, and this was, this made the whole retreat worth it. This was better than all the days of sitting. They put ice cream out. Yeah? And I watched every person walk in there. They had their whole little peaceful little been meditating 14 hours. <laughs> as soon as they saw the ice cream, the wheels started turning. Should I forego the food and get the ice cream first because it may not be enough after I eat? And it was just, you could see the whole, all the 12 days of peace gone. <laughs> and they were, they were you know, <laughs> getting a couple of bowls, putting aside, then getting the food, everything, just the whole head. It was, that was the whole retreat. The three weeks was just preliminaries. That was the event. You could see selfie just kicked in. The two weeks were a race like that. You could sit 12 hours, it wouldn't matter. 15 hours. Fuck, you see ice cream and you go flip out. Yeah? There's not enough scarcity. Laugh, get it. <laughs> so, going to the first place, to me, that's why we do this every week, for years now. Yeah? Because in the fact, after that starts whacking you, this is fun as hell just to stay at that first point, to talk about it. To me, this is satsang. This is association with the truth. This is a blast. I, haven't, I'm, I have not missed one meeting in 18 years. I've been at every meeting I supposedly give. Every one of them. And I listen enthusiastically every night. I am so psyched up in a sense. Of course, not me. But there's a great enthusiasm for this because there's nowhere else to go. It's the last answer, in a sense. There's nothing else to do or have or to practice. And you may do and have and practice. There's no opinion about that. This is just setting things in the right direction. I don't know what direction your action figure is going to take, but this sets your attention at least in the right direction. Back to conscious contact. Not to the story of who's in conscious contact, but to the basic bare-bone life called conscious contact. That is very difficult to say that my conscious contact, my, the conscious contact that this is being claimed as Paul's is any different than yours. One bit. There's absolutely no difference in it, the conscious contact. There's, all there is is consciousness in contact. Or like St. Francis says, he tried to save us tons of time. He says, what you're looking for is what's looking one sentence. He changed everything. He didn't give you 800 pages of advice and prayers and penances and everything. He just said basically, hey, what you're looking for is what's looking, bro. What? Where? Where? What's looking? Exactly. The misidentification blinds you to the simple, simple solution. It is truly an open secret. It is truly a gateless gate. There's absolutely nothing that needs to be done. It's just recognizing the obvious. Not as a Paul. Because Paul can't not, cannot recognize the obvious. Paul sees the obvious as a speed bump down his highway of story. He just runs over the obvious all freaking day. He uses the most obvious of the obvious, which is the conscious contact, to be totally obsessed with past and future. Imaginary contacts and a hopeful future contacts. But the whole, why do you wish for a special contact or reminisce about an old contact when the conscious contact is always available at all times? There's not going to be any difference. Consciousness is going to, if you have any sense, when you were a kid, you go back to any day in your life, your seeming life, 
and you look back at it, there was one common denominator called, there was consciousness, or you wouldn't have a day to go back to. Yes? There was consciousness. And in a sense, on that level, nothing feels any different. Any, any moment of any, any day. Because the same, same is always in place. Conscious contact. You know, people want something to rely on. That's the most reliable thing you're going to find here, is that no-thingness of conscious contact. It's the whole basis of your life. And yet it's being underappreciated and undernoticed all day because we just go on the linear story of being Paul. We just... The whole story of Paul is based on conscious contact, but the conscious contact isn't given any bit of attention. It's just used by selfing to sort of spotlight the obsessiveness of your mind around this idea of being a self. It's actually the conscious contact that's driving you crazy at night when you try to go to sleep. Yeah? Because it's been trained and habitually directed to all the thoughts about you that when you want it to stop, it can't stop. It just keeps illuminating the same thoughts about you. And all your attention is in that little porno theater of Paul. And you wish this fucking movie would end, but you, so you can get some sleep so you can get back into it tomorrow as Paul. You know? And it's, it's relentless because you're awake. You're seeing every freaking thought. And yet you have this whole idea that you're the chooser and the doer, then why not stop that? If you're the thinker, why are you thinking, quote-unquote, bad thoughts? This is all a freaking assumption. Things are happening involuntarily, and the head in self claims it as the one who's doing it. And that's your dilemma. If you don't see that and address that, everything else will fail you, because it's not meant to free you from that, because there's no need to be free from that, because you are already so, yeah? All these practices are about freeing you up from an imaginary problem, in my view. If you see it as an imaginary problem, that's the being freed up. And it's very quick. It whacks you. you know? it's, we call it a pause, you know, when you have that P-A-U-S-E. But a pause is really a, a, a bit of eternity in this linear time frame, isn't it? You ever have a moment, you know, like during your day, it has a different feeling than a pause. When you're in a pause, it's like a different atmosphere. It's like this self-centered uh, roof is lifted and there's tons of possibilities in that pause. And you'll see yourself doesn't really want to stay there. It wants to move to the next moment and start thinking about how we can get whatever it's looking for. Because that pause is a total, total free sample of, of your already, your salvation that doesn't need to be saved. Yeah? That moment, that pause. And it's not of time. We bookend it with time, but it's not of time. It's ta timeless. And therefore, that pause can actually, it does stretch underneath all the moments we partitioned and called time. That pause. We drop in that manhole every once in a while without looking for it. Something just happens. But once you drop in, any time you've ever dropped in, it's always been there to drop into. So I would imagine that it's always so. It's always so. So while the moments are being partitioned and time and your head is selfing and bounding from each moment to the next and each thought to the next, that pause is the freedom always available at all times. Why go anywhere else? Paul, I'm getting bored with your talks. All you do is talk about the same thing. Exactly. 
When are we going to do something? Well, no. When am I going to get something? Nothing. Well, what's doing and having about getting something? Yeah? We're attempting to really turn light upon the system of self-centeredness so that you can recognize some of its major themes so that maybe you can wake up from them. Yeah? And when you wake up from them, you'll be in that pause we're talking about tonight. Why go anywhere else? Because if you don't see them, they're going to run your life. You're going to run as if you are exactly what they're implying you to be, a self. And I don't think all the practices in the world will change that fact. That this thing absorbs practices like that. That's its whole modality. Its whole program is whatever it comes in contact with, it takes advantage of. So if it comes in contact with a spiritual practice, it will take advantage of it just as it took advantage of your, your, your slight fear of not being loved. Look at what it's done with that. Yeah? Or like that lady in New Jersey had this grief of her daughter dying, which is very valid, but she said she's been in constant grief for 10 years. And I said, I just humbly are going to submit a possibility. I think the, that act of selfing is taking advantage of this death of your daughter and is milking it like a dead cow. Yeah? 10 years is enough, isn't it? To feel constantly held in hostage to a grief that has already been done. You've gone over and over and over already. Your daughter and you are both free of it. Why keep rechaining yourself? Because she's not doing it. Selfing's doing it. Selfing, whatever it comes in contact with, will take advantage of. A juicy story, it's all, oh, it loves it. You know? Some slight that never even happened, it's been milking that for 40 years. There was a great old story in recovery called Freedom from Bondage, which is a nice little statement. And this lady got it. She was a real big drunk, and she got into recovery. And uh, she realized that if she didn't get get over her resentment, she was going to drink again. And to her, at that point, drinking was to die. And so she had this one resentment about her mother. And the story about it in her head, one of her stories, was that she would be she would do anything if she had a chance to get out of this resentment, man. She wanted to get rid of that resentment her whole life. But when she started becoming a little more conscious, she realized she didn't want to get... Well, she, she realized if she saw it in this way, I, I'll paraphrase it this way, that selfing had no intention of giving up this resentment. Because selfing had been milking this resentment as the excuse for all her marriages not going well, not going to school, not being success. I mean, this was the mother load this resentment. There's no way selfing was going to give up this freaking fertile cow. You know what I mean? No freaking way. So she was under an incredible delusion that she wanted it to go. Yes? But she was holding on like crazy. When she saw that, she realized something had to happen. And then there's some things they say what you can do to let go of resentment that's killing you. But the thing is, that's the, that's the example, yes, of this idea of selfing taking advantage of it. You don't need 800 more examples. You can be convinced with one example. You can recognize the ocean in one drop of water. It's a possibility. Most of us are addicted to having to be convinced over and over again because we constantly forget. This is the selfing. Selfing, selfing, selfing. 
one example can set you free because a principle is being revealed there. Just like we were talking today in the deck of cards in our life, especially in the West, what they said would be the best card is outside circumstances and situations. Yeah? If I had the right circumstances and the situations, like the right woman and the right house and the right car, that would make translate into me feeling really good. Yeah, that's what most of us are driven by here when we're growing up. You know, go to college, get this, get that, get this, get this. And then all of this will translate into you feeling really great. Yeah? And for a lot of us, that didn't really seem to work. Yeah? Because there's another card in the deck. And that card is body condition. Yeah? And so let's say you've got the Ferraris and you've got the beautiful wife and this and that. But you're sick as a dog every fucking day. Which is it? Which is going to win out? Your body condition is going to outshine your outside circumstances and situations, isn't it? I mean, look at your own experience. So, okay, so some people have gotten keen on that. So now they're doing a lot of yoga and they're doing a lot of practices. I mean, they're fit as a fiddle. I mean, they're surfing every day and this and that. And they, they do a 12-hour dance class, but they're insane as a hatter as they, after they leave, you know? Because there's another card in the deck, and that's your mental condition. And your mental condition will outshine your body condition. You can have the healthiest motherfucking body, never sick in a day in your life, and be totally, totally, insanely unhappy. Yes? You can also have this beautiful house and everything like that, and a beautiful body, tons of plastic surgery, and you look like unbelievable. You have the doctor right there. Every pill, everything to make body muscle relaxes, and yet your head's going off, and it erases all the effects of all those places, and all the body look, and all the pills, and everything like that. One second. One little weather front of thought erases all of that reality, yes? So there's, so there's the three cards so far. There's like circumstances and situations. That's the one we were mostly given when we were young. Then the body condition. And then the mental condition. So the mental outshines the body. The body outshines that. You know, the circumstance, situations. And the mental outshines that. Okay? Then, thank God, there's another card in the deck. And that's the ace, or the king, or the queen. And that is a spiritual condition. Recognizing your spirit. Yes? Because I've seen someone with bone cancer in Australia, this woman, she had entertained her nature as consciousness, and she was outshining a very painful form of cancer. It's supposed to be the worst form of cancer, bone cancer. I used to visit her, and on the west coast of Australia, she was the person I'd rather see the most. Not a beautiful babe, she was bedridden, but she was shining, babe. And I mean, it was, it was like true satsang hanging out there. So her spiritual condition was outshining the physical, the circumstances and situations, because she was better and it had to be lifted up and like that, and her mind's condition. What card would you rather play after that's been revealed to you? Why would you want to keep going back to outside circumstances and situations, to putting all your eggs in that basket, or your body shape, or your mind shape, when you realize what outshines them all is the spiritual condition. And you are a spiritual condition. Get that straight, right off the bat. Then, if you want to improve it, or open up, or allow the, all your old ideas to be a little bit weakened, so that more and more can be entertained, far out. But why would you want to go into a practice when the doing and having program is going to override anything you do and have? 
And why would I want to work tons of hours on my body when my mind can just change that condition like that? Then I'll have to go for another plastic surgery thing or something, eight more hours of yoga, whatever. Constantly, you never entertain anything new. You just think more will work, you know? More surgery, more this, more that. Or the mind, you know, affirming, you know, law of attraction, affirmations. It's not holding water. The whole solution is the spiritual one, and it's a ba- it's 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 the most stock card in the whole deck. There's nothing needed to be done or have. You are that. You are consciousness. That is it. It outshines everything else. But, yes, and then the world starts again. But, no, consciousness. Well, what do I have to do? Well, if you want to call it doing, it's already being done. You're in conscious contact. Consciousness is doing all the need, all the doing you need to do for you. (laughs) You're in contact. You're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Where's that going to locate you? In past, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touchings? Or future ones? No, it's going to locate you right where you are. Now, you'll be finally at the obvious starting point of every day and every moment right here, based on the denominator of right here, which is conscious contact. And right here, you'll be open to receive some damn good information because you've just been underneath the wrong chute. (laughs) The information you're getting is just... Anxiety from the future and resentments and grief and nostalgia from the past because you just keep going under the wrong chute. This moment, this chute here is, you'll get what you need to know now. You won't get that much information because you don't need much information. You'll just get to know what you need to do now. As simple as that. It's totally economical. There's no more added baggage. You actually, things that you thought were so you, you're really very, very lovingly asked to put down. Because they're constantly revealed to you, I'm not that. So, and then, then, while this happens, obviously, you start having an overall sense of living as I'm traveling lighter. Because you are traveling lighter. More and more, you're getting pared down, economized, stripped, let's say, of the selfing. And now, you're in that bare-bone contact as consciousness. Not as a body or a Paul, but as consciousness of a body and of a mental idea called Paul. These things can all change. This can all change. But that awareness doesn't change. Its nature is that and that's that. And it's always available at all times. So while you're fiddling around with circumstances and situations and body conditions and mental things, which is all fine and dandy, we have a lot of time here to do that, but the real solution to all of that fiddling around is awareness. And all, all the while, all the fiddling's going on, the awareness is looking at you right in the face. It's so fucking obvious you're in conscious contact. But not as you. Yeah. Not as a you. That's, to me, the free sample is when you get because in time, it seems very fast. There's the conscious contact and there's the mind's interpretation of it. But bring in the idea of the pause again. Because the pause can seem eternity, can seem eternal between the, con- you know, the conscious contact and the mind's interpretation of it. There's an eternal pause in there, which really, it's like a, you could drive a Mack truck through, really. Yeah? So that there's an easy, it's very easy to notice that all there is is conscious contact. 
If you try to do it within time, you won't, you won't see it, because it's very fast in time. But the pause is eternal. It doesn't play the game of time. Even though it may seem to appear in time to you, it's timeless. So there is a timeless state between the conscious contact and the interpretation of the head. You can live... It's very easy to live there because that's actually where living's happening, is there. Like if I ever had an idea of having a school, this would be... We'd have to sit around like this and you think, hopefully we'd have other people to come in and do the talks, that's just me, but, but for years, until it got, until you got comfortable with it, or you had a shift, and it's not, a, it doesn't have to be an event or anything, but the, where the emphasis in your life switched from self-centeredness to otherness, or let's say conscious contact. And then, off you go. Bye-bye. Yes? May, um, you can hang out, it'd be great. I'd love to have that, but then I've actually become obsolete for you. That doesn't mean you don't visit, but it's such a great time when I become obsolete. Yeah. Because being is happening. You, you see. Yeah. It's nice to enjoy it with people, but you, there's no need to. You're not getting anything anymore. You're not coming here for something. You're living in that nothingness, which is the freedom from all somethings. And some, how many somethings have you had? Thousands of them. Why is it that they just demand more somethings? Because they're not fulfilling. You think they are. It's like eating a lot of junk food. You think it's, you think quantity means like you had a meal. But if you have ever had something really fresh and alive, if you haven't eaten in a few hours, and the quality of it is so nourishing, it's almost like a rush in your body. Your body would rather have just two bites of that high quality food than ten pounds of the other shit. You get it. It tells you. You taste it like, whoa. And your energy, your oxygen opens up and your blood as a body. But we quantity, quantity, eat, and more information, more books, more talks, more this, more meditation, more this, more that. It's part and parcel of the disease called self-centeredness. Seeking is one of its main aspects too. Claiming, seeking, seeking is huge. And being right is also a nice one. <laughs> And the sense of knowing. It has a strong sense of knowing. It knows that you're a body. And it causes you to be ignorant of your true nature. And then your whole life is you think you know a lot of shit. And you're always perplexed why things don't work out. <laughs> I thought I knew better. Well, obviously you didn't. It's knowing, knowing. Knowing is the cause of a lot of disrest. Unrest. Distress? Unrest. It's the I don't know, like this lady, this, I like this Christian woman, uh, Bernadette Roberts, she writes a nice thing of that. It's that I don't know, in the state of I don't know, mind's incapable of creating agitation or restlessness. It's too busy in the I don't know. It's got to be alert. Yeah? There's no boredom in the I don't know, because there's alertness, there's curiosity, there's openness to it. Your mind is engaged. It's not bored as hell because I don't. I know just like when I work with people. This one guy I always say this to me because every time I say something about him, he say I know, and I go, No, you don't know. So no, I know. I said, No, you don't know. No, I know. But I said, But it's not translating. It doesn't look like you know. <laughs> Maybe you should shut up and listen. No, but I know. So that I know 
is a deterrent from any kind of learning. Yeah? Because you, you shut down immediately. Now it's about being right. Immediately. As soon as the I know is taken, over, you know, taken in place, now it's about being right about I know. So if you know that you're a loser, it's, your mind's going to want to be right about that in your life, big time. And it can blind you to incredible opportunities and love and great things just to prove that it's right about you being a loser. If you believe you're not lovable, you'll be blind to all the love that shows up in your life. You won't recognize the package. And you won't sign for it. Check it out, man. What Knowing is blindness. When you believe you know, you're just immediately put into a blindness. And then what happens when, you, when you're blind and you think you, you should see? You, you want to be right. So you keep running into walls. But, but I know where the door is. Can I help you? No, I know. Boom, boom. You, know? you want to be freaking right. Be right. Go ahead. It's killing you. So, we're going in, in another direction. Conscious contact is simple. What I'm saying as a secondary approach, in a way, is the idea of self not being you. Because I found something in my own experience with it, is that when I entertain I'm not self, I lose interest in it. Yeah? I don't lose interest. I have all the interest I've ever had, which is quite a lot. I lose interest in it. Yeah? So my interest or my attention goes to somewhere else and attends to that, which is my currency of life, in a sense. Yeah? What I attend to becomes important and real. But so if my interest is in selfing, it's getting, you're just putting a lot of interest in this dead-end bank account. You're not getting any returns, basically. Yeah? Just like if you want to look at it as faith. If you put faith in your conditional thoughts, you're going to produce anxiety. That's what faith's going to do. It's amazing, isn't it? If you have faith in the thoughts that are happening in your head, from in the process, and all thoughts are in self-centeredness, when you have faith in that, it's going to produce anxiety in your life. Yet the same energy of faith, if put in, let's say, what can be trusted, it'll produce an ease and comfort in your own skin now. It's the same energy. It's just what vehicle it's put in. Yeah? So here's your interest, your attention. It gives life to whatever you attend to. So you're attending to all the thoughts and the interpretations of life based on self. And so now it seems as real as real can be. If you entertain, maybe I'm not that thing I'm so absorbed with, your interest or attention will be freed, and then it will go somewhere else. And what's really cool is, if you can realize that you are not the director of that attention, it's sort of like a homing pigeon. It will go back to its natural nest or roost, which is its source, that consciousness, yeah? So now it will start attending to the consciousness that's being demonstrated in daily contact. The same attention that was driving you, making you in, live in a mental hell, will free you from all that. It's the same attention. It's just where, what vehicle it's being put in. It has a drive to go to wherever you believe you are. And if you believe yourself, your attention's going to go to that. If you realize you're not the self, or just start entertaining it, it'll free that attention, and maybe it'll go to what you really are, which is consciousness. Yes? This attention, going to consciousness, is worth 80,000 scriptures to me. It's, worth, it's, it's so 
It's because you get a conviction in your own gut. Yes, you become your own authority. It's a done deal. It's like, to me, it's the last answer. It's finished. And now let's get on with it. The emphasis has shifted. Your attention isn't constantly going to that black hole of selfing. Your attention is now going out, engaging in life, and yet resting at the same time in its source, instead of this phony source of Paul. So this, attention going to this, is obsession with self. Attention going to consciousness is abidance in the truth. It's the same energy. You know what abidance means? Resting in, yeah, living in. So it's a very nice term they use in spirituality, abidance in the truth. So you're resting in the truth, yes? Your attention has been freed from being absorbed into selfing, yeah? And now it's resting in, in the truth, which is that that's what it is, is consciousness, yes? So that's the abidance. When that same attention is resting in what you're not, it's obsession. One drives you crazy, one is the source of all peace. But it's the same attention, yeah? It's where it goes. We're attempting just to entertain, I'm not that. Because if you start entertaining it, some of your attention will be freed up and it will probably go back to here and this will cause you to start living as an active immunity to that. Yes? You'll have an activated immunity. Not something that has to be recalled or said or spoken or read. But you'll have an activated immunity to self -in. Because your attention will have shed light on it. Yes? Because it is illuminating. And you will see it for what it is, which is it's not you. So what we're saying today in recovery is like most people, the way, the way they've lived is disowning things, yes? So in AA we try to own things again. But that to me isn't the last step. So alright, my whole life when I was young, things overwhelmed me. They scared the hell out of me when people died and the feelings I had about the people who died. Like when my grandmother passed away, it shook my world because she was like the goddess of all goddesses when I was nine years old. And I had no idea of death and suddenly she was gone. Bye-bye, never to see her again. Flipped me out. My father died, died three months later the same year. Flipped me out. Yeah? So what I did, I wanted to make all that unreal. So I wanted to make my whole life feelings unreal because they had seemed to be so fucking real to me they scared the hell out of me. Totally uncontrollable, and they overwhelmed me, my little fragile selfing. Yeah? So now my idea was to make everything unreal. Yeah, I did it. So I started reading science fiction and horror, and as soon as I found drugs and alcohol, I did that. And then I got into spirituality, same thing, same intent. Don't have any feelings anymore. I'm above that. I'm detached. I like that idea, being above my feelings. But what I realized was... My making things unreal was making them as real as real can be. By me trying to avoid feelings, they had the most power over me, constantly, by my fear of them. Then I came in AA and I had a revelation. I said, Jesus Christ, I'm going to make, let everything I've been trying to seem to be unreal, I'm going to let it be as real as it wants to be. And what happened is, it showed me its real nature, was it's, it's unreal. I was doing the exact opposite of, of what would work. So I finally own it, yes? Like you do an inventory or something. You own it. Hey, man, you are an asshole, Paul, and whatever. You are a motherfucker. You ripped everyone off. You're a this and that. I own it as best, as all as I can be. And then, I am not that. But this is a clean disowning, yes? It's clean. By truly owning it, you actually truly disown it. You can't truly disown it by not owning it, in a way. 
not mind game. Yeah? You own it by disowning it in mind game. Our, our minds, its idea of owning it is to disown it. That's why you get stuck with all these fucking feelings, because you've been disowning them. So now you own them, but you have a step in the process. I'm not that. Entertain it. When something is revealed about you, realize it's not you that it's been revealed about. Yes, you're not that. That's the freedom. I went to this spiritual group once. They had the Enneagram. It's a very interesting little Sufi thing from Islam, from Muslim. What is Islam? Yeah. The mystical order in Islam, the Sufis. Well, they had this, they, they created this way of, of checking out basic personalities and characteristics of all human beings. Yeah? Every human being falls into one of these categories. There's, so they had nine major categories and two subdivisions. So it was like 27, let's say the whole world is Fords and there's 27 models of Fords. Yeah? And it's the whole world, there's no Chevys or Cadillacs, it's just Fords. And there's 27 models of Fords, and we've recognized them, and we're going we're gonna to share their basic characteristics, how they drive, how they turn, you know, their speed, everything like that. So all these spiritual people want to learn more and more and more about themselves, right? It's one of those curses of spiritual seeking. So there, we go to this three-day retreat about Enneagram, and then everyone, they learn that there are seven, yes? Like they have certain characteristics of everyone who's... And they immediately identify as that. Now that they leave the retreat, I'm a seven. What are you, a nine? I think you're a nine with a subdivision of a four and this and that. No, all that information, I'm not that. That's the value of any knowledge about self is that you're not it. Yes, it's not to be identified with. It's just, you're just adding baggage on your, on your enlightening trip. You're picking up more baggage along the way. Everything you learn, you identify with it. No, it's not you. That's what's so beautiful. You and I can be perfectly described because what's being described is not what we are. It's this apparatus. You drive and, and act and react and think and feel just like any run-of-the-mill alcoholic because you've been taken over by alcoholism. So is this apparatus. There's no fucking surprises. We know exactly what happens to us. But it's me. No, it's not you. I'm not that. That's the freedom. Tonight. Don't you feel that little moment there? Tasty, isn't it? It's pre it was presented by all of us, yes, and none of us. I mean, how much more freaking convincing do you fucking need? <laughs> you sit here for 50 minutes and you just got a giant. It smelled like peace to me. Serenity, silence. Yeah. 
wasn't conjured up. It's always under. The, it's always there, lurking, and every in every fucking moment that we're filling with thought and interpretation and yapping and yapping, yapping. There's silence. There's no sound without silence. So we bring a little crescendo at these meetings, so you get a little a cymbal hit. <laughs> Wake up the orchestra pit. You know what I mean? Start trumpeting. <laughs> Great, no questions. What's a hat? I need a hat. Oh, here's a hat. Great. I don't like Boston, but I'll give you. Give it back. You missed your point, bro. The window of opportunity closed. No more questions. No, what is it? You gotta be fast, Jack. You can't be lollygagging around. Yes. So, upon awakening, upon awakening in the morning, you have to stay in the moment. And then, having served that awareness and meeting himself, Well, you don't react. Your head reacts through you. Not even through you. Your head reacts through the body. That's not you. You're conscious of it, though. You're the consciousness of that, yeah? Yeah? You're the consciousness of watching the head react through the body at something. Before you can have a thought about it, or a feeling about it, consciousness has to be illuminating that event, or you wouldn't note a thought or a feeling. So what precedes every place I appear in is what's already so, which is consciousness. Yeah? Then there's an appearance of Paul reacting to something. But consciousness is... Before every imaginary stage is walked on, there's always, always the lighting. It's already in place. Yeah? The illumination, the illuminating factor is always so. So, there's consciousness of, let's say, Paul reacting to something. Yeah, that's your immunity to being the Paul that reacts to something. Is that there's consciousness of it. If your emphasis is on the consciousness, but then the body that's reacting, you'll have an immunity somewhat to that. Yeah, simple as that. say with you, Jack, I know you've been coming. Just come, keep coming. Letting it repeat. and It's an inside job. It'll happen in and then come out. It won't be, it won't be brought from the outside in. 
what's happening now is we're entertaining something seemingly from the outside in, but the inside is what's going to do it. Yeah? Yeah. I have total faith in what you are. I do. It outshines everything here. It illuminates everything. How can it not outshine it? In a sense, in there, nothing has ever happened here. Literally. Nothing has ever happened. The only thing that gives you a sense of being alive is the meaning you've given to past, your mind's giving to the past. Because in fact, without the conscious contact, you really don't have a sense of being alive. You have to garner it from past information and future speculation. You have no real evidence that you're alive now, except by stories and pictures and stuff like that. Conscious contact is aliveness. Everything else is... A, replacement of that and it doesn't do a good job it creates a dis-ease and a, a, a doubt a very strong doubt about how real and solid you actually are yeah? and of course we look to override that doubt by getting more secure and knowing how things are but in fact the real security here is in I don't know that's the highest form of security is I don't know Actually, insecurity is the highest form of security. To not know what the hell is going on is the freedom from what's going on. <laughs> Literally. You have no freaking clue, actually, how the hell all this is coming about. You can have a philosophy around it, but in fact, it doesn't hold water. You have no clue. It's just... pictures and every day he'd come in and the westerners there were all into non-duality and you know all there is is God you know consciousness and he he'd uh, like windex all the you know the frames of the pictures and do a thing and they were going why is he doing that he's totally gone from all of this place and he says because I like to yes there's nothing wrong with anything it's what, it's what the meaning your head gives it that makes it wrong, not the act itself. And the same thing, he used to smoke cigarettes. And they said, why does he smoke cigarettes? He says, hey, this is an old body. Let it have some fucking pleasure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get off my case. <laughs> so, you know, so prayer for gratitude. Sometimes, like today, I was surfing, you know. And I had a, I, I had a grateful, I had a, grat, you know, I said a prayer of gratitude. 
It was fucking beautiful. There was this apparatus that's still functioning enough to be in the water. I can catch waves. It was beautiful. I had some beautiful uh, people with me. The su- it was sunny out. It was, it was like fucking what's not to be grateful for. Is there anyone grateful? Of course not. See, this is the weird thing about this. People still think there's a relevance of a self. You were, the whole time you have been doing all this stuff, there was never a self that was doing any of it. So why would you want to stop doing it now, now that you think you're not a self? (laughs) There wasn't a self to be doing any of it to begin with. Why do you have to now change all your behavior? Isn't that a sense of being relevant to the situation? Now all your behavior can change, but why is it in your head you say, oh, now that I'm not a self, I've got to change all the behavior I was doing as a self in the past. No, there wasn't a self. It's not like you were a self and now you're not a self. There is no self. So in a sense, all that has ever been done that you give credit to or blame to as a self is a form of mental relevance to keep the, keep the fucking eternal candle of selfing going. Somehow, so now you're going to, I can't do what I used to do as a self. No, you never did it as a self. See how the mind wants to write its relevance? It wants to find, it's got to have some importance in all this. Either I'm keeping you from it, or I'm the one that's leading you into it. Yeah? It's, 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 you're putting it off in time again. It's not that way. You recognize it. There was never a self, so basically... <laughs> Myself never did fucking anything in my life because there was never a self to do it. So now my non-self is behaving differently? <laughs> there was now the non-self is another form of being relevantly as a self. How relevant can a self be that you want to be a non-self? It's trapped in duality. You're... When you're entertaining non-self, you're still giving, your mind's still giving worship and relevance to self. There's neither self or non-self, in fact. There was never a self, so there's no need to have a non-self. They're like phases to the point that there was nothing ever needed to be done, period. What? You have no relevance. What? I don't have one bit of meaning? Nope. Come on. The lens can affect the seeing, can it? I know I did. I was blind for years. Nope. There was no you that was blind. There was just dirt on the lens, so to speak. But I must have had something to do with that dirt. Nope. You had nothing to do with that dirt on the lens. (laughs) Fuck, where can I get into this story? Exactly. Then it goes to the author page. That's where it usually goes. I had something to do with all this. I'm the author of this. No, it's not. Rip that page out too. Then you get a blank book. And that's I don't know. Then it will be written every day in almost like invisible ink. It'll disappear after the day's gone. And you'll see that you'll get the sense of true moving called beingness. Yes, the verb. You'll be sensing the verb of life instead of trying to be a noun. Trying to stop a noun knowing a verb is impossible. A noun cannot get what a verb is because it's identified as a noun. 
It's from, by being identified as a noun, one of its main objectives was to forget what it was like to be a verb. So now it wants to know what a verb is, but in a noun program, which kills the essence of the verb. Being, living, you know, conscious contact. It's a happening. It's a verb. There's no noun to be found. Nor was there a noun to be found. Nor will there be a noun to be found. The noun is the drive for relevance. The verb is just... Have you ever seen walking and kicking hit each other? Walking and kicking, no. There's no direction in verbing. It just goes. There's no... For something to be looked at as it's happening to me, I have to take the position of a noun. I have to become a noun for something that's happening to seem to be happening to me. Yeah? I have to become stationary and fixed. I have to be identified as this to, take a, to tell a story about life as a, from the noun's point of view. You can't see the sense of verbing from a noun's point of view. All you can do is get an invitation to see the irrelevance of a noun's point of view. Hopefully that will start you back into your verbing. Yeah? Because the noun is even a verb. You're verbing, you're selfing. That's what it is. It's a verb. Everything's a verb here. There's no noun. Yes? So. That's that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead with the serenity. Serenity prayer? God. God. Grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works. Hey, I think we're going to have a retreat in Costa Rica. Yeah. yeah. For the rest of my life? Yeah, good thing. You're a
for the car. And Adonis came to his head. We'll take the house next door, thank God. I made it in the fourth quarter of the class. I was like, talk about him. There was a moment where there was no, there was absolute pure, pure gratitude.